0: Scarf please. Good choice, this last one. That'll be $120. How would you like to pay? Here's $50 in cash. Can you put 30 on this card? Ten on that? 20 on that. So cute. It's declined. Really? Could you just could you try it again? really declined. Good morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome to our latest series here at The Well called Burnt Out. Whoops, sorry. Sorry, I did that. My fault. Called Burnt Out. And what we are talking about here in this series is finding true peace on this earth. But before we get into the series, I need to do a little bit of a survey right here. Maybe we'll do that. A little bit of a survey right here before we start, and I'll tell you what this series is all about. Let's do a little crowd participation right here, but not trivia. We finished our trivia earlier. I need you guys to be honest with me, though. Okay, because sometimes when I say raise your hand if I know that sometimes we want to, but we don't want to. But I need honesty right here for the sake of I know if I'm talking to the right people or if I'm just making stuff up. How many people would say, as we kind of look forward to the holiday season and we're hearing Christmas songs or we're making plans or we're buying gifts and holiday parties and all kinds of different stuff, how many people would say that they kind of look at the next three weeks, four weeks, whatever it is, maybe kind of starting back from Thanksgiving going forward. And there's a little bit of stress or anxieties they look forward. Either it's financially, okay, like how am I going to pay for all the gifts? Like work is so busy, I don't know how I'm not going to take time off. Maybe like relationally, like you know you're going to have to be confined to a house with certain people that you kind of avoided since last Christmas. How many people raise your hands would say that there's some kinds of stress? Okay, very good. Okay, now keep your hands up. How many people would add on that say maybe I don't feel stressed, but you know I wish I had more time as we approach. I don't know where I'm going to get enough time to do all the things. How many people would say, I don't know why I'm going to come up with all the money that I need to do all things I want to do. How many people would say that? Okay, raise your hands. Okay, very good. Hands up all over the place. I like that. Now, for those who didn't put your hands up, how many of you hate the raising hands game? Who didn't raise your hands? Uh, very good. Okay, thank you. I appreciate the honesty. Okay, I appreciate the honesty. Okay. Very good. Why is it that so many of us look at the happiest time of year, Christmas time, where it's a season of beautiful songs, like we just sang right there. Everyone loves Christmas songs. Even though when I told, asked the music team if we could sing Christmas songs, I was kind of hoping we'd get Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer one of these days. Okay? That's one of my favorites. We heard it on the radio yesterday. I was telling the kids, we may hear it in church tomorrow, but no. We love the Christmas songs, and we love the Christmas movies, and we love the Christmas story, but somehow around this time, we don't really love life. We don't really love actually going through this time because for many of us, this time is not the happiest time on earth. Many of us, it's the most stressful time. And it's the time where the things that we enjoy the most about life and that we want the most, we actually have the least of. Why is that? Why is it that Christmas, for so many people, is so different in reality from what it is? When I say Christmas, I'm talking about the Christmas season. What it is from what it's kind of supposed to be. Well, I'll tell you what I think. This is just my own two cents right here, my own editorial. I think the world that we live in, specifically in Northern Virginia, DC metropolitan area, it's worse. So whatever it is in the rest of the world, it's worse here. We're very much focused on success. Do y'all agree with that statement? We're very success-oriented people. Majority of people who are sitting right here are professional people or will soon be professional people. We are successful people. That's why the first question you ask when you meet someone is, what do you do? Because we are very much success-oriented. And that's not bad. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. But the bad part of it is, is that the culture that it creates is a culture of pushing to the limit. Because we believe in our success-oriented society, culture that we've created right here in Northern Virginia, that more is better. That we need to buy more, spend more, work more. Get newer things. Get more of those newer things. It's always more, 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 more. If we have children, if you have your kids in one activity, one activity is not enough. They have to have multiple activities. They need to know more. Your kid knows one language. My kid knows two languages. Your kid has signed up for regular soccer. My kid does travel soccer. Like we are in this culture and this society of more, 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 more. And y'all laugh, but just think about it. Compare those who are parents, even if you're not parents. Compare the world that we grew up in to our kids' world as they grow up. I have a kid who's 10 and a kid who's 8. Compare their ten year old and or their life at ten and eight to my life when I'm ten and eight. When I was ten or eight or whatever it was, I played one sport. One sport. Okay, one sport per season maximum. That was it. That was one weeknight and one Saturday game. That was it. What are kids today? Nah, you just play regular soccer? Well, you're behind. Your kids gonna end up in therapy one day. Your kid needs to play regular soccer. That's one night a week and travel soccer. And one doesn't replace the other. I just found out, okay? Because we signed up our kid for travel soccer, and we realized that all the other kids are travel and the regular. So that's two nights for travel and one night for regular games on Saturday and games on Sunday. And in addition to that, that's just two. That's just three nights a week. You got the other nights a week. Got to do something. So the kid has to take piano lessons. Kid also has to take French immersion classes because, it, God forbid, they don't know French immersion by the time they're tw- 11. On top of that, kids today are doing like two hours of homework a night. It's a crazy pace of life compared to what we lived. And then if you ask the parents, you ask the parents of these children, are you enjoying this? Are your children enjoying this? You know what they'll say? They'll say, no, but we don't have time to talk about it right now. We got to get to practice. (laughs) And somehow, somehow, in the midst of our Northern Virginia, D.C. metropolitan area society culture, this has become normal. This has become normal. This is how many of us lead our lives. (laughs) Okay? And I put this up there on the screen. I had to take it down earlier because it came up too soon. Because if you're like me, okay, if you are like me, this gives you stress just looking at this. Okay? This gives you stress because this is supposed to be a garage. A garage is supposed to be a place that creates order in a household. It's supposed to be a place that creates some kind of feeling of everything is where it belongs. But many of us Our garages may look like this. Our closets may look like this. Ladies, closets look like this. And for many of us, our lives look like this. Now, I'm not here to talk about garages. I'm not here to talk about closets. Although, if your closet or garage does look like this, you should definitely address it as soon as possible. (laughs) But that's not our main emphasis here. But I'm happy to help with that. Your schedule should not look like this. Your finances should not look like this. Your relationships should not look like this. It's okay, you can survive with a closet or garage. But if this is how your life looks like, what happens when you go into this garage, okay? This garage is like everything is on top of each other. You don't know what's in there. You don't know what's underneath. It could be a raccoon. Your youngest child could be in there. You don't even know. Many of us, that's how we live our lives. And you look in our lives, there's no room for anything. Everything is crammed in as much as it can possibly be. We can't find anything. We can't fit anything in. Someone says, hey, can you do this? We explode on them because they have tipped us over the edge. What we need to talk about in this series is creating... <sighs> does not that feel good? All the neat freaks in the room, let's do it together. Ready? Ah. <sighs> Doesn't that feel good? Just the stress level just went down 100%. Now some of you, some of you are looking at this and like, what's wrong? I mean, this looks like, like, no." <laughs> okay, you got a problem, okay? We'll talk about that the next series, okay? But that's okay for the rest of us, okay? do not that feel good? You know what that's called? That's called margin. What we're going to talk about in this series over the next few weeks together is restoring margin in our lives, Restoring space, breathing room, a place where we can, because <sighs> I think that's one of the things that is most lacking in our lives as we approach the holidays. And I'll tell you this at the start, and I will repeat this throughout my talk here today, and every single week of this series, and I'll go to my grave saying this, the best things in life happen in the margins. The best things in life, what makes life worth living, happens in in the margins. And we will see as we go through this series and we attempt to take back control of our garages, our closets, really not our garages in our closets, our lives, our finances, our schedule, our relationships. As we take back control over those things, we will discover that true happiness and joy is found where? In the margins. First let's come up with the definition of what is margin. Margin is this. This is our working definition for this series. Margin is the difference between my load and And my limit. Margin is the difference between my load and my limit. Margin is the difference between my current versus my capacity. What I have in front of me, I'm sorry, what I need right now versus what I have total and all. For example, make a couple simple examples. Let's say I have 30 minutes till my next appointment. I have 30 minutes and it's a 20 minute drive. So my margin is 10 minutes. 10 minutes is what the excess between what I need and what I have. I have 30 but I need 20. So my margin is 10. If I have $100 in my pocket, I got $80 worth of bills in front of me on my desk. My margin is $20. Margin is the difference between what I have and what I need. Now some of you looking at me right now saying, what's the difference? What's the difference between what I have and what I need? You, my friend, don't have margin in your life. There's supposed to be a difference. Your life is not meant to be lived at the edge of your capacity. Financially, relationally, or time. I'm going to use these three all together. For example, for example, some of us are so unused, unused, not used to having margin in our lives. We don't know what the following means. We don't know what it means to arrive five minutes early at an appointment or at a practice for our kids, or what, We don't know what it means. We don't know what it means to not drive 80 miles an hour on the way to pick our kids up from soccer practice. We don't know what it means. Because we, if we have an extra five minutes, we plan a 10 minute activity during, during that extra five minutes. Some of us, we don't know what it means to get to the end of the month to look at your budget. You know what, there's extra money there. Look, did you know that's allowed? Did you know, see some people think of it like the government. Like if you don't spend it all, they're gonna take it away from you next month. You're allowed to spend less money than you have in your budget at the end of the month. Emotionally, to have emotional margin means that you have the capacity, that you're not always at the edge, you have the capacity that when that kid starts whining and going crazy, you have the emotional capacity that you can stay calm, that you can absorb it. And if you don't have margin in your life Margin means being home, watch this, three or four nights a week with nothing to do. That's what margin means. It means nothing on my schedule, three or four nights a week, just time to sit and read and think and dream and pray and talk. Margin means sitting around the family dinner room table and not, and, and it means, margin means being focused on the conversation with my children, with my wife, with my husband, and not thinking about what do I have to do as soon as this dinner finishes the best things in life happen in the margins. And I'm preaching right now, I practice what I preach because there is no subject I'd rather practice than the practice of margin. Last week, Thanksgiving week, was last week Thanksgiving week? No, the week before last week, Thanksgiving week. Many people know, for me, Thanksgiving week, you don't hear from me, okay, you'll not be able to see me because Thanksgiving week is my my R&R week. Okay, because usually I don't take Christmas or New Year's, like those aren't necessarily resting holidays for us. Thanksgiving is my rest. So I take the whole week, I ain't got no appointments, I don't see nobody, I don't answer no one's phone call. I encourage everyone, yeah, go out of town, go see your mom, yeah, your mom misses you, yeah, your dad misses you, yeah. (laughs) I encourage everyone to go out of town. Why, you know what I did during that week? You know what I did during that week? It was the best week of my life. I slept more than I've ever slept in a seven day period ever. I read more than, I read three books in one week. I had probably been a year since I finished three books. Okay, I read three books in one week. I played with my kids, we watched movies together, we did stuff outside, it was the best week of my life. the best part of life happens in the margin. Now, why is it that we don't have margin? Why is it that, that, that our lives are so jam-packed, are so crammed to the edge? Well, I would say it's kind of it's a mix of two reasons, okay, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm making these up here, but just from my experience. I think we fall to kind of two lies. The first lie is the more is better. Bigger is better, more is better, newer is better. That you have a car, but you would be better with a newer car. And you have that phone, but there's a better phone. And you have that house, but your life would be better if you had a bigger house. We kind of go with this mentality that if I have this job, I'm okay. But if I have this job, if I can work to get this promotion, my life will be better somehow. And we're always spending our lives chasing after bigger, better, newer. And we fall into this lie. The second lie that we fall to, me included, is that we have no choice. And that's the one I really want to address here today. That we have no choice. That, hey, well, you know what, Father Anthony? That's just how life is here in Northern Virginia. Look, if you want to make it, you need two incomes. This is just how life is. Like, this is just life is busy. Like, what's, like, I'm single. What's the big deal if I'm out every night of the week? Like, what's the big deal? This is how life is. What do you know? You work one day a week, right? You're just a priest. Priest only work one day a week, right? Well, I'll tell you this. Stick with me in this series. And try to insert some margin in your life. And I promise you, when you taste life with margin, you will never want to go back. You will wonder how you survive. When you see that garage, the two garages, and you see them side by side, because you're living your whole life in the no-margin garage. You just think, that's just the only way there is. There's no other option. But once you taste and see that there is another option, a life with margin financially, margin relationally, margin in my schedule, when you see that, you will wonder how you survive for so long without it, because truly the best parts of life happen in the margin. Why? Real quick here, okay? When margin decreases, what are the effects of having no margin in our lives? I don't need to tell you this. Y'all know this. Number one, stress increases. Amen? Stress increases when there's no margin, right? When there's no margin, like for example, when I'm late to an event, like I don't know, let's say on a Sunday morning, and you left the house late, and it's not your fault. We know it's her fault. All of a sudden, that car ride becomes very stressful. I joke that by saying, no, it's her fault. You know more often, it's actually his fault, okay? Her maybe with the hair, him with the sleeping, okay? Whatever it may be. <laughs> you know that that's a stressful car ride. And you know that all of a sudden, everyone's kind of grumpy at everybody else. We've got to get to church to worship God because we're supposed to get to church to worship God. Right? Bless you, thank you, yes. God bless you as well, yes. No margin? Stress increases. I see this every, every morning. I drive my kids to school, and those days that we get out at 758, we drive in peace, we oh, but when it's 8:03 and we leave, man, it is a tense car ride all the way over there. Okay, and we're weaving in and out of traffic. Financially, when there's margin, everything is fine. When there's no margin, why'd you buy that? Who told you to, Did you ask? Who told? When there's no margin, stress increases. Number two, when there's no margin, relationships suffer. When there's no margin in your schedule, this is where you start to hear things like, Mom, you're always on the phone. Dad, you're always working. This start, when you start to hear things like from your friends, say you're never around anymore. You never hang out anymore. When you have no margin, your relationships begin to suffer. One time I'll never forget it. A dad came and told me a story. He was like telling me about some experience. A father of, of a young child. And he was basically saying, the, 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 the long story short, is that I'm busy in work and the guy works from home. And he was saying like, you know, and working from home and it's busy and it's busy. And my my kid keeps distracting me. My kid distracts me. Kid was like maybe three, four, five, something like that. My kid's a distraction. I just want to look at him and say, your kid's the distraction from work? Are you sure about that? Because maybe you mix the order. Maybe the work is the distraction from what's really important. The problem is when you are at no margin, even when you are physically present, you are emotionally absent. Even when you are physically present. So I left, I'm, I'm, I'm into work, and work, 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 and I left work, and now I'm at home, and I'm at the dinner table, but I'm not really at the dinner table. Because even though I have disengaged my body from the work, I have not disengaged my mind, and my mind is still back there. And you're sitting there talking, and all I'm thinking about, as soon as dinner finishes, I gotta do this, 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 and that. How many times it's become the typical, typical picture of life in the 21st century. You see the picture of the family sitting around the table. You've all seen it like I have. You see four people around the table and everyone looking like this, right? You've all seen it. And then the end result of that, okay, you'll see someone like, can you take a picture of us? Okay, and then they'll pose, okay, of their great meal at the restaurant and post it on Facebook, nice family dinner. And no one's enjoying it. And no one's actually connecting to anyone because they're disconnected. Relationships suffer when there's no margin. This one is the most shame because every single one of us would agree that what gives life its value, what makes life worth living, is relationships. And I can measure the happiness in your life directly by the quality of your relationships. That is a direct measure of the happiness that you will feel in life. Stress increases, relationships suffer, and I lose my priorities when there's no margin. I lose sight of what's important. When there's no margin, I become so focused on that one area where there's no margin, I can't see anything else. I'll give you an example. Here I am standing up here on this stage. And I can walk around, I can talk to you, and I can engage you, and I can look at my notes, and I can do all kinds of stuff. Because I'm standing back here, there's margin. But as the margin between me and the front of the stage decreases, and I start to stand up here like this, you know what's going to happen? My focus is going to go where? Straight down. Some of you get get nervous, aren't you? I'll be okay, don't worry, I still got some right there. But as I stand over here like this, I'm not really focused so much on what's going on here. I'm focused here because I got no margin. Here, I can focus. Here, I got no room to focus. You know what happens when you have no room financially? When you have no room f- between you and the edge financially? You become very focused. And you're so focused and so focused, so focused on financially. And you don't care about your kids, whatever it is. and just tra- You don't care about any of that stuff. And you know, Time for prayer. No, I got time for prayer. I got focused right here. When you got no margin in your schedule, your focus is, I need to be as efficient as possible. Efficient, efficient, efficient. Come play this game, Dad. No, that game takes too long. Let's play uh, Paper rock, scissors. that quicker game. We're so focused on efficiency because we have no margin, no margin, no margin, so we lose sight of all the other things that are going on around us that are important. The question that I want you to ask yourself, every one of us experiences this. Why do we do this to ourselves? Like, I will not make you show your hands on this one. But why do we do this to ourselves, even though if I ask for a show of hands, we have promised a hundred times, we have said to ourselves, I need to slow down. We've said that a hundred times, and we've never slowed down. Why do we do this to ourselves? Why do we say over and over, no, it's just this season, but after that, I promise I'm going to slow down. Why do we say over and over that money is not the most important thing to us? Our career is not the most important thing to us. Yet we spend so much of our time and our life clawing and scratching and fighting for better career and more money. But it's not the most important thing to us. What we say is, no, relationships, that's what matters. Family's what matters. Then go ask your family. And your family, if you ask them, they'll tell you, no, what matters most to dad is his work. What matters most to mom is her Facebook phone thing. Why do we do that to ourselves? Why do we contradict ourselves? I have an answer. I have an answer. First, let me tell you what the answer is not, then I will tell you what the answer is. And I'm taking you from my own experience. What I'm saying right now, stuff that I've been through, because believe me, if there is a, someone who is a professional at making excuses to be busy, that's me. I got the market cornered on this stuff. Okay, that's my job. I'll tell you what the answer is not. The answer is not, this is just a busy season of my life. Stop saying that. I spent the first nine years of my priesthood saying that. It's just a busy season. And me and Marianne, at the end, we started, like, she wouldn't even believe me anymore. No, Marianne, just a busy season. It's just Lent, okay? Then once Easter comes, once Easter comes, okay, it's just after Easter. Oh, it's just the summer. Oh, it's just uh, the fall. Oh, it's just the winter. And then you run out of seasons. Every season just happened to be a busy season. No, but just once this season finishes, I'm the king of this excuse. I'm the king of saying, no, but right now it's just one of those busy times. I have no choice. I'm just busy. It's just the nature of the beast. And finally, at some point in time, God told me, He made it clear. He said, "Stop it. Stop making this excuse. Stop it." Because the truth of the matter is, is busyness is a lot more under your control than you realize. I love this story from Luke chapter 10. Story that y'all, everyone knows this story. About two ladies named Mary and Martha who had this interaction with Jesus. Jesus came to the house of Mary and Martha who were two sisters. One of them, y'all know the story, Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and just listened to him. Martha was busy, busy, busy serving and cleaning and doing all kinds of stuff to prepare for the visit. Look what Jesus says, Luke 10, 41. Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. One thing is needed and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Martha said, Jesus, my sister, lazy, sitting there. I'm busy. I'm cooking. I'm cleaning. I'm preparing. I'm doing all those kinds of stuff. I'm busy, Lord. I don't have time to sit. I'm busy. I don't have time to pray. I'm busy. I don't have time, Bible. I'm busy. I don't have time to go to church every Sunday. I got to work. I'm busy. I don't have time to meet my kids. I'm busy. I don't have time to, to, to spend a, a reading. I don't have time. I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. You know what Jesus says right here? Exact same thing that Jesus said to me. Busyness is not a condition. A disease. I have busyness. Business is a choice. And it's your choice. You choose how busy to be. You choose what your level of busyness is in life. We don't want to admit this. We don't want to admit that the reason I'm not at my kids' games is because I'm choosing not to be there. We don't want to admit the reason that I don't pray is not because I'm too busy, because I'm choosing not to. We don't want to admit it, but it's the truth. Business is not a condition, it's a choice. Who told you you have to commit to that social event? Who told you you have to go to that? You you decided. Who told you that you need that promotion? Who told you that you need a bigger house? Who told you that you need to get a new car? Like Who told you these things? It's your choice. And yes, once you make that choice, you may have no other choice, but you made the choice. You're the one who said, we will not be happy unless we have a bigger house. It's your choice. You're the one who said, I will not be happy unless I have this fashion standard. I have all the news. You made that choice. Stop looking at busyness as a condition, as a disease. I just have busyness. It's a choice that you make. And Jesus made that very clear. And I made that decision in my life several years ago when, when, when I felt convicted by this. And I made a decision that I will never... I will never, and you can hold me accountable to this if anyone can say otherwise, I will never say, I am too busy. I will never say that. And many times you come to me, say, Father Anthony, I know you're busy, but um, I want to see if you could do this. And I say, I am not too busy. I will not come to that, but it's not because I'm too busy, because I'm making a choice not to come, because I have something else I need to do. But it's not because I'm too busy. Don't tell me I'm too busy. Don't tell yourself you're too busy. I'm not too busy, but I am choosing to do A instead of B. Make a choice and stop taking the excuse of, You know what? Life is just busy for me. It's time we take responsibility for the decisions that we have made. Busyness is not a condition. Busyness is a choice. But the good news, okay, the inverse of that, why that's good news for us, because busyness is a choice, margin is also a choice. And the same way you have chosen to be busy, you can choose to have margin in your life. And what we want to talk about in this series is how to do that. Why we do this to ourselves is not a condition, it's a choice. Okay, so what is the real reason? Follow me on this one. If you get what I'm about to say, if you get what I'm about to say, this can be truly revolutionary for your life. This can be transformational. Because what we need to do is get to the root of the matter. Why is it? I overload my schedule. Why is it I spend more than I make? Why is it that relationally I'm all over the place? I have no quality. I'm quantity but no quality. Why is it? Why is it? Why is it? it? If you can get to the underlying root, and I promise you, follow me here and you will get this, this can be truly transformational for your life. The underlying reason is not because you don't have self-control, it's not because you don't have discipline, it's not because you don't have a choice. Get rid of all those excuses. The reason you don't have margin in life, simply, It comes down to fear. It comes down to fear. Why fear? Listen to yourself when you make excuses of why you have no margin. Listen to your own language. Most of the time, I'll say, hey, why do you need to push so hard at work? You'll say, well, you know what? I'm just, I'm afraid that Why is it that you, you overload your schedule? Like, like why do you never have a free night? Well, you know, I want to, but I'm just worried that I'll fall behind socially or I'll miss out on something or at work. I'm afraid that I won't be able to pay the bills. or I'm afraid that it's fear. It comes down to fear. And when I go back to my own example, okay, the example of me pushing and pushing and busy and busy, I'll be honest with you. It came down to a fear. You know what my fear was? My fear was the opinion of others, specifically the people in the church that I serve. Even though no one ever said anything, my fear was in this job, okay, we don't get like reviews. You know, re- my, my performance evaluation is is, is you, okay? And it's, it's the smile on your faces and you coming back to church. So this creates a very, like there's priests all over the place that struggle with this stuff, but don't get it, okay? This is a very dangerous position if you don't understand this that inside me was this fear of not being the best I could be. And I had this thing, you know what? No one is going to say that there's a priest who worked harder than me. No one's going to say there was a priest who put in more time than me. And no one's going to say that there was a priest who did more for them and for their church than me. And that was kind of my fear. I didn't want anyone to say, no, Father Anthony, slack. I, I couldn't take that. And that was that fear. So I pushed, I pushed, even though nobody said it. But it was the fear someone might say, Father ain't taking a day off. Father Anthony taking it easy. Father Anthony only work one day a week. This kind of mentality. And that fear was driving and driving and driving and driving and driving me for so long. I think your busyness is caused by fear too. Fear of what? I gave you a couple options. I'd say fear of falling behind. You ever heard this one? No, I gotta keep up. I gotta keep up. Gotta keep up. Gotta buy the new uh, boots. Gotta get the the new accessories. Uh, Gotta get the new car. Gotta get the new phone. Gotta get the new. Why? Because I'm gonna fall behind. I gotta keep up. Keep up with who? Keep up with what? (laughs) fear. How about fear of missing out? Y'all heard of this one, right? They coined this term, FOMO, fear of missing out, came a, a thing. And I'll say this, we laugh at that, we laugh at that, that's us. And I'm pointing my specific, I know i will talking, I say a lot of family, I talk about the singles right now. Let me tell you something about you young singles, okay? And I say this in all love. This fear of missing out, when you are young and you are single, You have more flexibility in your schedule than you will ever have. Yet somehow, yet somehow, your schedules are more packed than anyone else in this room. And you, forgive me for what I'm about to say. I am saying this in love. You are the hardest group to get to commit to anything. To get to commit to anything. Why? Because I might be doing this, and I might be going there, and I might be doing that. What does that say about you? I'm saying this in love. I'm not saying this, I'm saying this in love. If you at this point in time, with the flexibility, and you can't commit, what does that say about What does that say about us? We've gone crazy. No, but so-and-so's going to the beach, and if I don't go, I might miss out. Miss out on what? How about a third one? How about a fear of not mattering? How about a fear of not mattering, of not being successful, of not my life doesn't count for anything? Now again, kind of like I said with me, my fear was I want to be the best priest. I want anyone to say I'm less than the best. That's a good thing to a degree. Like that's good to hear, but then when it gets into this, okay, think of it like a mountain. Okay, that's good up to here, but after that becomes very dangerous. It's good that we want to be successful. It's good we want to make an impact on the world. These are good things, but you know what's bad? When we start to equate busyness with effectiveness. We start to equate doing more with doing better. That I want to do a great thing in this world, so I'm just going to keep on doing and doing and doing and doing and doing and doing. It comes from fear. And doing more is not the same as doing better or getting more done. So, if margin is this dangerous, question now, does God have anything to say about margin? Does the Bible speak about this subject? Does the Bible speak about margin? Yes and no. No in a literal sense. Like you never find the word margin, okay, in the Bible. Like it doesn't say like God says, thou shalt have margin. Okay, it doesn't say it like that. But the concept of margin is from this very start of the scriptures. I told you margin, the root of it, or the lack of margin, the root of it is fear. And does the Bible speak about fear? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the Bible speaks not just about fear, but the the opposite of fear, the inverse of fear, is a subject that God cares about very, very, very much. And what is that subject? That subject is faith. God commands margin as an exercise in trust or in faith. Where's margin? First seen in the scriptures? From the very beginning. We see the concept there. We're going to go a little history of the Old Testament right now. Back in the olden days, Israelites, people of God, were slaves in a country called Egypt. And while they were there, they were there 400 years. So everyone who had, by the end of that 400 years, anyone who was an Israelite did not know any existence prior to slavery. Like some people were free and then gotten slaves. So they knew freedom and slavery. But all those people had died. Now, 400 years later, anyone who was still alive knew only the existence of a slave. And a slave meant work 24-7. No days off, no unions, no call in sick, no nothing. If you're a slave and you take a day off, you say, I'm sick today. You know what they do? They throw you away because you're a slave. No one gives medicine. No one would waste medicine on a slave who's sick. Throw them away and get another one. So slavery, you only do one thing. Work, 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 work. That's your life. God frees these people from slavery, takes them out and takes them to the promised land. And now God has a tough task ahead of him. He has to establish a new society. Like a lot of things in the Old Testament that we don't understand. A lot of the rules God gave is because there was no government back then. God was the first government. That's why he gave rules and says, if somebody does this crime, this is their punishment. Not because God is legalistic, but because God is teaching them how society functions. Same thing with a lot of like the health things. Don't eat this and eat this. Because God was the first physician. He was the first like uh, uh, health care And God was saying, don't eat this food. This will make you sick. And I know that. So this is the food that you eat. God was establishing a society. And in that society, God had to change this mentality from a slave mindset to a free mindset. And in that, he gave three rules about margin. He gave many, many, many rules, many commandments, more than 600 in the entire Old Testament during different subjects but three in particular that I want to highlight real quick. And two of them you probably know pretty well. Maybe the third, not so much. The first one is the rule of Sabbath. The rule of Sabbath, or the law of Sabbath. This one made the top ten of God's commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, Think of it from a slave's mentality. A slave woke up worked till the time he went to sleep. Think of it from a slave's mentality. In this day, you shall do no work. Fascinating. You nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. See, the people of Israel, they heard this sentence saying, you shall do no works. They were thinking, oh, this is great. My kids will do all the work. That's fantastic, God. That's a great day. God's saying no. Nobody does work on this day. Why would God command a day of no work? Like, this seems inefficient. Seems ineffective. Because God understood how we work. This is why someone who says, look, how can you not love a God who commands a day off from work? Like, I don't understand how you, like, how we have such a sweet God. Take, like, one of his first rules, God take a day off on me. I got you on this one. Because God understood how we work. God understood that without margin, in our schedule, that we won't make it. We won't survive. So God made it illegal to work one day of the week. And look, if you want to see more of his thinking, same passage from Deuteronomy chapter 5, same commandment. says this. He goes in a little more detail as to the thinking behind it. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. New, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey nor any of your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. Now, why? That your male servant and female servant may rest as well as you. So he says, it's to get rest and remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Why don't work is connected to remember that you were a slave and that I brought you out. Because the goal of the Sabbath is not just the physical rest. What is the underlying reason behind the margin is? Trust. Trust me. But Lord, if we don't work this day, we might fall behind. I got gotcha. you. But Lord, what if, what if we aren't able to purchase what? I got gotcha. you. But Lord, trust me. Trust me. Second law for sure you've heard of, is the law of tithe. Law of tithe. Every church's favorite law to preach about is the law of tithe, right? Don't worry, I'm not talking about giving here today. I'm talking about a principle, a margin. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22. You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. Tithe means a tenth. So what the rule of tithe was, Is whatever you take into your household, you set aside one-tenth, and that you give to God. And back in the day, there was no banks. There was no, like, ACH payments from your credit card. There was none of that kind of stuff. So what would happen is you would collect the harvest. You would collect the money that came in, and you would have a jar or a bucket or something in your house where you would put in, and you would be reminded every single day, this does not belong to us. But dad, didn't we make that money? Yes, son, but it's not ours. But dad, didn't we work hard for it? Yes, son, but it is not ours. Because we give this money to God and we trust that God will provide for us. They had a visual reminder. I love this principle so much that we kind of do this with our kids. With our kids, we give them their weekly allowance. Okay, and usually the kids get, you know, whatever amount. Okay, let's say they get five bucks and they have three buckets. They have giving, spending, and saving. We learned this from Dave, Dave Ramsey. Giving, spending, and saving. And they know right away, they have to take $1 and put it in the giving bucket. And they don't give that every single Sunday. Okay, we accumulate it once a month. And I kind of like them to walk by that bucket and see that, hey, you know what? That's mine. But that ain't mine. That's a nice visual reminder. That not everything that I get in my hand belongs to me. There's a margin. There has to be something that comes in that goes straight to God and is a visual reminder of it. Some of us could use this visual reminder on our budget, on our mint.com or whatever. Some of us could use this visual reminder that not everything that comes in is to be spent outside. Law of Sabbath, law of tithe. Third one maybe you never heard of. Okay, isn't like a, a, a famous law, but we'll call it the law of gleanings. The law of gleanings. We read about this in Leviticus chapter 19. The Lord says, when you reap the harvest of your land. Sorry, let me introduce this. This is being spoken to a nation of people that has no heritage, no, like, long history of financial and resources and, like, king and army. They have nothing. All they have is what's in their hand. And what's in their hand is their fields. This is all they own. And they don't have, like, don't think fields, like, acres and acres and acres like we have now. Just think they have their garden. Whatever they have, that's all they have. And God says to them, when you reap the harvest of your land, your land, You shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. Watch this. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Isn't that strange? See what God is saying? God is saying, here's your field. Okay, Let's say this stage right here is my field. He's saying, absolutely, you work hard, and you take care of your stuff. And when it's time to harvest, you harvest, you harvest, you harvest. But you leave the edges. You don't go all the way to the edges. You take, you take, you take, and then you stop. But God, that's mine. But God, what if the neighbor steals it? But God, how am I paying for my kids to go to college? God says, trust because I am the Lord your God. See how he connected these commandments of margin with, I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of Egypt. I saved you from slavery. Trust me. At its core, margin is an expression of trust. Saying that I trust you, God, and I will not work to the edge. I will do my part, and then I will trust you, God, to take care of the rest. New Testament. Did Jesus ever speak about margin? Absolutely he did. He famously said this passage from Matthew chapter 6, and I'll be honest with you, as, as we read this together, somehow we have convinced, we all know this verse, we've heard this many times. If you go to church for any significant amount of time, you've, you've heard this. We somehow convinced ourselves this doesn't apply to us. I don't know why. Listen to what it says. Matthew six thirty-one. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Let me add a few to that. Do not worry. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? What shall we drive? Where shall we live? What kind of phone will we text from? Will we be able to? Stop worrying about these things. Why should we stop worrying about these things? You know, this verse, this verse right here, this condemns us. This is a tough verse. For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. What is Jesus saying there? After all these things, the Gentiles. Who's the Gentiles? The pagans, right? The Gentiles were the pagans. Who were the pagans? What's pagans' relationship with God? Did pagans believe in God? They did. Okay? Pagan was not atheist. Atheism is a very new invention. There's no such thing as people didn't believe in God. Atheism is just like 100, 200 years old. There's no such thing as atheism. For the longest time, everyone who didn't believe in the right God believed there was a God. So it wasn't that these guys didn't believe in God. as they believed in the wrong God. They believed in the God Zeus. Okay, who's the God Zeus? God Zeus doesn't care about you. God Zeus doesn't care two seconds about you. He'd squash you in a heartbeat if he could. They thought about God of the sun and God of the wind. And they believed in gods who couldn't care less about them. And this is how they behaved. And then we behave the same way. He's not saying it's people who didn't believe in God. He said people who thought that God doesn't love them. That's why he finishes off the verse with this. All these things the Gentiles seek. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. And I imagine, maybe he didn't say it to them this way, but to us he's saying it with a little bit of, not frustration, but like, why can't you get this? You say you believe in me. You say you know I'm good. You say you trust in me. Why can't you trust in me with the margin of your life? Why can't you trust that I got this one covered, that I know your kids need to eat? I know your kids need to go to college. I know you need to have a social life. I know you need to have a roof over your house. Why can't you trust me with it? Imagine what your life would look like. Imagine what your life would look like if you really believe that your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Work late. You know what? I can't. Because I got to get home to my wife and my kids. And I can't work on Sunday because that's the day I go to church. I can't. I'm sorry. I trust God will take care of me. I know that all the other kids are playing travel and regular and, and taekwondo and, and, and learning French, but you know what? My kid's going to learn one language and somehow he'll hopefully stay out of therapy, okay? I'm trusting in God will take care of my kid. I know that there's another social event tonight and the next night and the next night and the next night. I know I'm probably going to miss out on something really cool. But you know what? Man, it has been a while since I spent some time with God and actually read the Bible. Read a book. Prayed. Thought. So you know what? I'm staying in this night. And I trust God will take care of my social life. Because my Heavenly Father knows my needs. He knows my needs. Bottom line is this. We all have limits, we all have limits. Your stage may be big, bigger, your budget, your time, whatever, we all have limits. Either you choose your own limits or you let somebody else set them for you. My advice in thinking about this, in case you're not convinced that you need to set some limits on your life, my advice. Setting some margin is not going to be easy, but it will be worth it. And if you want to know how worth it will be, go ask somebody. But don't ask one of your peers. Go ask someone who's ahead of you in life, a generation ahead of you. So if you're 20, ask someone who's 30. If you're 30, ask someone who's 40 or 50. If you're 50, ask someone who's 60 or 70. If you made it to 60 or 70, you're great. Okay, just do whatever you need to do. Okay? Okay, Ask somebody who's ahead of you, who can look back and say, you know, when I was 20, I really thought that. But I wish I had known that. You know, when I had a toddler in the house, I had two little kids. I spent my whole time trying to, but I wish I could go back and... Because here's the thing about life. Life ain't like college. College, you fail a class, you just take it over. You failed it again, you take it over again. You find a new teacher like you, transfer. You do whatever you want, take it over. Life ain't like that. You're 20, is your only shot at B20. You're newlywed, is your only shot at building that foundation of your marriage. This is the only time that you can build that foundation. And what you build now, you're gonna live with the rest of your life. You got a three-year-old and a two-year-old and a one-year-old. This is the only time in your life Where they're going to be that age. And you are investing in them for the rest of their life. There's no do-overs in life. There's no do-overs. You only get one shot at this thing called life. And I bet you someone who's ahead of you will tell you they wish they had spent more time with what's important versus what's urgent. More time in quality, less time in quantity. More time on peace and less time on progress in life. I want to leave you with two action items. Two action items. Two homework items. Okay? Because what we're doing here does have no value to come listen to me talk and you do nothing with it. Because what we're trying to do right here, like I said, if y'all get this thing, this can really flip your life upside down. This can really, really save. So many people are drowning with no margin in life. This can really change you. But you got to do something about it on your own. Two homework assignments are both written on the bottom of your handout. Number one is get talking. Get talking. If you look at the back of your handout, you will see four questions that I put on there for discussion. And what I encourage you to do with those questions is take those back to your whatever, to your family, to your friends, all right, to your husband, to your wife, to your brother, to your sister, to your parents. Take those questions with you and have a discussion. Have a meaningful discussion about why we do this to ourselves. What is the root? Of why I push myself. What is the underlying fear that is kind of manipulating all of us? Have a serious discussion and try to get to the root of it. And then number two, the opposite of get talking, is get quiet. And I'm going to give you a homework assignment that you are going to hate my guts. But if you can do this, I'm telling you this may sound so stupid just for my sake. You think this is stupid? You think I'm stupid? That's fine. I'm the stupidest person in the whole wide world. Try this for five days. Five days. Five minutes of silence. Five minutes of silence. Five minutes every day, Monday through Friday. Okay, skip Saturday. I'll give you Saturday to talk your head off, okay? Five minutes where you sit in a room with nothing. Other than your sleep, okay? Someone said, I do that in my sleep. Okay, very good, okay? Hopefully your sleep's more than five minutes, but... five minutes where you're not reading anything, text messages and Facebook. Even I'm saying don't even read a book or don't read a Bible. Just five minutes of silence. I'll tell you what I'm thinking if someone told me five minutes of silence. Oh, that's a waste of time. Why? I can get that done more efficiently. I can do it in two minutes. <laughs> because me, I'm a priest. I need more important things to do. I can call someone, ask about them. I can prepare a sermon. I can read the Bible. Like I can do more effective things. Every day is 24 hours. That's more than 1,400 minutes. If we cannot take five minutes of silence, we have a problem. We have a problem. But the laundry, the laundry will still be there. But the kids, let the kids cry, i doing some good. But my work. Five minutes of silence. If you've never tried this, let me promise you two things about this. Number one, this will be the hardest part of your day the hardest part of your day, five minutes in silence. Number two, at the end of the week, you will say this was the best thing that I ever did. Five minutes thinking. Five minutes alone. Five minutes quiet. We're gonna take you up on this verse, Lord Jesus Christ. We're gonna take you up on this verse. Matthew 11:28. 28. This is a verse that you kind of keep in your mind as you go into your five minutes quiet the rest of your week. This is the verse that you keep in mind. Matthew 11:28. 28. What we all want as we are burnt out approaching the Christmas season, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is what we want, Lord Jesus. We want this rest. We want this. Uh, where well, we're going to go in this series over the next few weeks. Okay, we have, it's a four-part series. We're going to talk about finding margin. Today's like the foundation, Going forward, we're going to talk about building margin and what I say are the three most important areas of life. You heard me repeat them over and over. I always say, these three things tell me who you are as a person, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, and who you spend your time with. Okay, your relationships, your, sorry, your time, your schedule, your finances, and your relationships. We're going to talk about building margin in each of these three areas. And our goal is to find what Jesus is promising us, that we, when we come to him and we put that margin, we will find rest for our souls. Let's stand together and say a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, when God, amen. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you love us, that you care about us, that you know our name, that you know every desire and need, that you know every fear and insecurity and worry that is inside our hearts. And yet, in the face of all those, you tell us to trust you and to remember that you are the Lord, our God, I pray that you would help us to really believe in you and to exercise that faith by building margin in our lives. I pray for every single person, family, who's really struggling with this and really struggling with with chaos and has no control over their lives. That by your grace, Lord, that you would help us to regain control and to discover the true beauty of life found in the margins. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the prayers of all your saints. Lord, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father